Colossians 3. We've turned the corner in the book of Colossians where now we're looking at the area of sanctification. That is, we are justified, redeemed by simple faith in Christ, nothing more. But not everybody who believes in Christ, their name is written in the book of life, will take up a cross and follow Jesus. People who believe won't be a disciple. They don't become learners. They don't become witnesses. They don't read the Bible. They don't pray. They don't go to church. They don't seek after God. Even though they're going to heaven, Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 3 where they're going to get to heaven and their life is going to be put under the fire of judgment, not for condemnation, but for reward or lack. And it says there's going to be those people that have the foundation of Christ, which Christ laid and nothing can damage it, but all their life is burned up and there is zero rewards in heaven. I'd like to say I don't know any Christians like that. But I know a lot of Christians like that. I'd like to say that I know Christians that don't just bear 20-fold or 30-fold or 60-fold, but they bear 100-fold. They're the kind of people that Christ gives them 10 talents and they go invest 10 talents and get 10 more. And Christ says, because you've been faithful with what I've given you, I'm going to give you much more. But I'd have to say that in America, most of the Christians I know, Christ gives them one talent going, I should probably even not give this to you. And what do they do? Nothing. Just like they're doing in the rest of their walk with the Lord, nothing. They're burying it in the dirt. And when the Lord says, give an account, they go dig it up out of the dirt going, here's the, the, the piece of silver, the talent, the mina that you gave me. Here it is back. And the Lord said, what did you do? And he said, I buried it because I was afraid. You're such an austere man. You're sort of scary. And I was afraid to lose it. He said, why didn't you just put it in the bank? You could have got simple interest. It wouldn't have been much, but it would have been better than nothing. Take that away from him and give it to another. So not everybody is going to rule and reign with Christ. Not everybody is going to be a king and a priest unto God. Not everybody in that thousand-year millennial reign is going to rule and reign on this earth with the Lord. Many will make it to heaven, but they have never walked as disciples. So this is what we're talking about. Guys, the real joy in being a Christian is bearing fruit. And not a little, but much fruit. Jesus says those who hear the word of God and they receive it with a good and noble heart. It says they don't just bear 20-fold or 60-fold, but 100-fold. I grew up in a farming community. Any farmer dreamed of having 100 every, for every seed that went in, you got a plant. This never happens. But Jesus says in his kingdom it happens. And so we want to hear Jesus say, if you wish to follow me, you must deny yourself. You must lose your life in this world to gain it in the life to come. But then you got to take up a cross, an instrument of torture, of suffering, of death to yourself. Paul says, I beat my body into subjection unless after I preached to others, I myself become disqualified. Not for heaven, 
but for rewards, to be able to rule and reign with Christ. And so there's no, the Lord is not saying to you, I'm condemning you because you didn't become a disciple. I'm not going to let you go to heaven because you're not going to be a disciple. But he sure gets the paddle out and spanks you, saying, you're being a foolish child. And it's time to put away childish things. When I was a child, I talked as a child, walked as a child, lived as a child, but no longer. There was a point in time that I had to see the world as it really is. I, I raise my kids when they're saying, oh, this isn't fair. Kids, life is brutal. Unfairness is a regular thing you're going to see. Life is hard and harsh. Don't make it complicated by sin. Don't make it more difficult by foolishness. The sooner you know God's word and hide it in his heart and you start obeying it, you will see a harsh world, but yet you'll be victorious in that harsh world. And so the, the Lord makes it clear that there's Christians, love, they, they receive Christ, they believe on him for salvation, like the thief on the cross who has no reward in heaven. He died on the cross one day, have no reward. There's going to be other Christians like that. And you know what Jesus says about them? He says they're, they're fools. It's like a man who's going to build a mansion. And he goes and he finds first rock. I, I was in construction, and there are some places you got to dig. Matter of fact, the first building I generaled as our church, we had to go down like 40, 50 feet before we hit rock. And then we had to build these pillars before we could put the foundation on it. Well, that man who builds his house on that solid foundation, when the winds and the waves come, it doesn't affect it. But then there's a foolish guy who hears God's word. Woohoo! I know the Bible. Well, the devil knows the Bible. He quotes it. He even quotes it to Jesus. They're hearers of the word only and not doers. And they're like guys who build their house on the sand. And when the winds and the waves, the hardships of life, the difficulties of life come, great is the fall of that house. So guys, there's no difficult. It's not some complicated algebraic formula that only some people are smart enough to figure out. There's no Einstein stuff here. Little kids can do this. To know God's word, believe it, and then to be doers of the word, not hearers only who deceive themselves. So sanctification is the best thing for believers, and it's the worst thing for carnal believers because you will reap what you sow. Now, obedient Christians hear that going, woohoo! I shared the Lord this week like 10 different times. I, I was loving in the midst of harshness. I, I, was, I put others first and, and they're, they're planting all these seeds and, and they're going to experience 10 years, 30 years from now on earth, but more importantly, an eternal reward, these giant oak trees. 
I love oak trees. I grew up in Central California. The city lo- logo, lo- logo, thank you, is an is a oak tree. We used to go to Mooney's Grove and these giant, giant oak trees. Love the oak tree. Man, when you, you, you've planted an oak seed or an oak, you know, a little branch, and you come back 50 years later and see this giant, fruitful tree. Yeah, man, we, we love reaping what we sow. We don't hear reaping what we sow. Whoa, please. No, we're like, yes. 100%. Every seed I plant is fruitful. Hundredfold. But the carnal Christian does not know this joy. So we've learned the steps here. In verses one through four, get your eyes on Jesus. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. The work's complete. Trust in him. Make him your your target. You know, if you don't have a clear target, you you just shoot an arrow. (laughs) Well, did did you hit the target? Was there a target I was supposed to aim at? Yes. We're aimed not at the horizon, not at the moon, not at the stars. We're aimed to be at Jesus' side. He's at rest. It's finished. The work's completed. Even the work of sanctification's completed. Secondly, we realize that the issue is, in every letter that Paul wrote, the first issue is a sexual issue. That if you are not walking in sexuality, as God has commanded, then the next step is can't even be done. The, ne- the next step is to see sex as God sees it. And that is sex is only to be in marriage between a man and a wife, period. There is no other venue in which it's accepted. Well, that seems pretty narrow-minded. Well, do you you want a a pilot that gets up in the plane going, I have no idea how much gas we have. I'm not sure where we're going, but we're going fast. Or do you want a narrow-minded pilot? Man, if you're not exactly on to the microscopic inch, you won't hit Hawaii. You'll be out in the middle of the largest ocean on planet Earth, hitting that little dot 3,000 miles. That's, That's really amazing. Leave L.A. and you hit this little piece of sand out in the middle of a giant ocean. Or you have to have brain surgery. Do you want some happy-go-lucky, jokey-in-the-round guy? Hey, let me tell you a funny joke. Okay, let's, let's pop this thing off. What word do you want? Just, just pop it off. Just pop half of his skull off. We'll, we'll dig around in there and figure out something. Is that the kind of... No, we love specific people that are specific are, are important <laughs> and they bring us freedom having good water to drink having good roads to drive on having lights that turn red and green and, and they work correctly I've been in countries you know power goes out through the whole day <laughs> you know you turn the water on don't trust it bottled water only you know, they go to the, go to the, in your car and you're sitting two blocks away from your house for an hour because the lights aren't working and people are just being crazy. 
And the only way you're going to ever move is if you're crazy. It's get back to America, man. There's a stop sign. Praise God for the stop sign. Yes, I'll stop. I love stop signs. You know, oh, there's a light. Oh, I love lights. Yeah. So sex is for one thing in marriage. Anything outside of that. We talked about how the fire in the fireplace is wonderful. But the fire in the living room is horrific. (laughs) Fire in the bathroom, fire in the bedroom, it'll burn the house down. Right? It doesn't bring blessing, it brings curse. And he actually says sexuality is different from all other sins. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins what? Against his own body. Sexual sin is at a whole nother level. You gotta put it to death. In a minute, we're gonna talk about taking off and putting on, but not here. Here, it's gotta die before you can ever start taking off and putting on. Romans 1, 27, the same thing. Men leaving their natural use of the woman, men burning in lust against other men, homosexuality, committing what is shameful, receiving what? In themselves, the penalty of the error which was due them. So in 1 Corinthians 6.18, you sin against your own body. In Romans 1.21, receiving the penalty of error within them, that was due them. What's that mean? I don't know. People's all AIDS or whatever. I have no idea. I'm saying this is spiritual, guys. And God is saying that the damage sexual sin does, it's incalculable to a human being. Our soul. I think sometimes we can damage our soul irreversibly. But if you're putting that to death, then the next thing we can do taking off and putting on, taking off the old clothes, the old sinful clothes, and the rest, not about sexuality, but the other areas in life, we can take off those old clothes and put on the new clothes. We looked at this in Colossians 3, 8, where he says, in particular, put off, take off anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy language out of your mouth. What is he saying? It's something you're not going to conquer in a day or even in a lifetime. Anger is going to creep up. And when you see you're wearing anger, guess what? Take it off. (laughs) When you see that you're starting to get bitter, take that clothes off. This is what we talked about. And then last week we began looking, and we're going to look some more at this week, in Colossians 3.10 about putting on the new man. One, it's renewed. Number two, it's in the knowledge of the image of God who created us in his image. So it's already our natural bent to put on these things. Kindness and goodness and love and mercy and gentleness. That is our natural bent when we're made in God's image. But when we are born as sinners into this world, we can't get there. I know I should be kind, but I can't get there. I know I shouldn't be bitter, but I can't get there. 
But when we become born again and God's spirit lives in us, we actually can now take off by the power of God's spirit and we can put on by the power of God's spirit. Non-believers, they, they can try to, you know, turn the pot down and make the kettle not boil so loud. <laughs> but then as soon as they're not watching, uh, the heat goes up and the kettle starts, you know, going crazy again. That's the best they can do. Turn down that anger, turn down the unkindness, turn down the greed, turn down the whatever it is, but they can't take it off. That's in Christ, only believers can do that. And so people can be, people can be seen immediately. If I see somebody in a medical garb with a stethoscope around their neck, thank you, Cheryl's right on. She's like, I'm looking at her going, help. She's like, oh, let me help you. Um, stethoscope, and they're at, you know, CVS buying some shampoo, you know what they do, right? They're, they're in the medical field, or it's Halloween, and they're dressed up. They? No, they're in the medical field. If you see a guy in a military garment, you, you know what he does, right? We can be, we, we are known by what we wear. And so as Christians... You, you, you're to be known by what you're wearing. And so today we look at verse 12. He, he doesn't just go right in saying, put this on now. He first stops and he says, therefore, understanding who you are in Christ, the elect of God, holy, beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Let's look at these things. Therefore, so right before it, he again talks about taking off and putting on. And he's going to get specific in this verse about what to put on. But he says, first of all, understand who you are in Christ. We're the elect of God. So the clothes, the clothes we wear are not just a military outfit. We're generals. <laughs> We're high-ranking officers. We don't just have on a police uniform. We're the captains of the police department. We are the elect of God. Now, I, I just, I'll tell you what, Calvinism has just so screwed up some of the most precious, beautiful doctrines, and this is one of them. In Calvinism, they say, well, God before time began, said, you go to heaven, you go to hell. You go to heaven, you go to hell. You go to heaven, you go to hell. Why, God? It's not for you to know. It's only I know that. But you go to heaven, you go to hell. So you want to go to heaven? Sorry. You know, a billion years ago, I said, you're going to hell, and that's where you're going. You want to go, not, you want to, go to hell? No, you can't. You're going to go to heaven. I don't care what you want, because I, a billion years ago, I decided you're going to heaven. This is called fatalism, determinism. It makes God evil. It makes God warped. But yet, we're supposed to rejoice. Calvin actually said, if you don't rejoice as many as people, as many people have been predestined to hell, as have been predestined to heaven, you may not be the elect. Because the elect is going... Thank you, God. It's, you're, you're amazing for sending these people to hell. Thank you, God, that you predestined them to burn in the lake of fire forever. You're amazing, God. Calvin says that's if you don't come to that place where you're worshiping God for destining people 
before time began. It's not what the Bible says. It's, it's warped. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that God predestined before time that whoever would believe in him, trust in him, receive him, when they believed in him, they would become the elect. And the elect are predestined to have good works and to be conformed into his image. So who are the elect? It's those who have believed. And that choice is yours, guys. God isn't making you do it. In Calvinism, we are so wicked that God's spirit actually has to come and make us born again first. And then we realize we're sinners and we repent and we believe. But God did. God actually made it happen. You didn't need to. You had no part of it. And right now, there are thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of young people walking away from Christianity right now because they think that is Christianity. There's no other choice but that determinism, fatalism. No, who, who is the elect? God says first, the elect is the Messiah. <laughs> Secondly, the elect is the nation of Israel, specifically those who are of the faith of Abraham. And we, as the church, are a part of the Messiah. Therefore, we're the elect. Jesus said, as I am in you, and he said, he's praised in John 17, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, that they would be in us in a perfect unity. So we're in Christ. Because we're in Christ, read Ephesians 1 again, we are the elect. We've been predestined to be the elect because we believed. God predestined everybody who believes. That's up to you. you got a free will. Well, they can't believe until God changes their depraved nature. Untrue. Untrue. That's a lie. God's given every man a conscience. God's spirit is in the world convicting every man of sin and righteousness of judgment. Has been from the beginning of time. Well, no man comes to the son unless the cross him. I know the father's drawing through our conscience. The Father is, is drawing us through the Holy Spirit in the world. The Father is drawing us through the testimony of saints. The, the, the Father's drawing us by the written word of God. God's, the Father's drawing us by the prayers of parents and grandparents for their kids. Yeah, the Father's drawing all, all, all men to himself to believe, not some select elect. That's just wrong. So those who believe become in Christ. Also, we learn in Roman or in the book of in the Bible, those who believe become children of Abraham. So we are the elect of God. We are part of the nation of Israel. Read in Romans four. He is the father of us all who believe. If you believe as Abraham believed, then you are a Jew adopted into Judaism. But if you are a natural-born Jew, but you don't have the faith of Abraham, you're not a Jew in God's mind. You're like Esau or Ishmael. You're not, even though you may have Abraham's DNA in you, you're not a part of the household of Israel because only those who are of the faith of Abraham are a part of Israel. And so there's probably more adopted kids that Abraham has right now on earth than he has natural-born 
kids. I'm, I'm, that's a fact. I mean, it's not a guess. That's a fact, right? It's like, it's like that, that, uh, that joke where the, the guy says, did you, did you know that people eat more bananas than monkeys? And the daughter says, really? Yeah, have you ever seen anybody eat monkeys? <laughs> so the fact is, is when we believe we're now in Abraham, who's the elect. So the church is the elect because we're in Christ, because we're in Abraham. So the elect is not an individual anyway. Again, in Calvinism, it's all about everybody's individually elect. We do not find that. The only individual who's the elect is Jesus, the Messiah. Election outside that is the nation of Israel, those who are of the faith of Abraham. We become the elect of God because we're in Christ, we're in Abraham. We are the church, the bride of Christ. So if, you're, if I'm individually, Brian, I'm the elect and I'm the bride of Christ, ugh, that feels creepy. But if we as a church combined become a special people, the bride of Christ, the church, the ecclesia is the call out once, it becomes a beautiful doctrine. And so again, we are the elect of God. And, 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 and so God has predestined, number one, Ephesians 2.10, I mentioned this a second ago, that we are his workmanship, this great work of art, created in Christ Jesus. Notice again, we're created how? In Christ Jesus. Father, as Jesus said, as I am in you, you are in me, that they would be in us and we in them in a perfect unity. So in Christ, we now have been created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should, doesn't say we will, we should walk in them. We still have a complete free choice. God's not making anybody do anything. We are equal to God in one way. We have a complete free choice. But also we've been predestined as the elect of God to be conformed into the image of Jesus. In Romans 8, 29 and 30, for whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also, what? Glorified. That's us sitting in heavenly places with Christ. So we are going to, one day when we leave this body, whether we walked in sanctification or not, whether we became a disciple or only a believer, we're all still going to be as righteous as Jesus is righteous in heaven because he has accomplished it in the finished work of the cross. And we looked at this last week. Go back and look at those notes and you'll see them in Hebrews. Through the one sacrifice, he justified us and he sanctified us. And so... God's plan is that we would walk as Jesus walked, be conformed to his image now while on earth and walk in this sanctification. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.9 and understand God's great desire for this. Who has saved us and called us with his holy calling? Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us, where? In Christ Jesus before time 
began. Before time began, Jesus predestined that everybody believed in him became the elect. And once you're the elect, God has life planned out now. Every day you wake up, God has good works that you should, you could. It's a possibility. Walk in them. If you're walking in the Spirit, then you will fulfill those things. If not, you'll go through the day being fruitless or bearing tenfold or twentyfold or zerofold. And this is such an important point that we understand that God has set this up in advance that all who are predestined will now have good works. And also, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to what? To love God and walk according to his purpose. Walking in sanctification. Walking to be that fruitful child of God. And so, because we're walking in this predestined plan of God, everything that comes against us as we're walking in this fruitful life won't affect us. In 1 Thessalonians 1.4, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, he says, know this, this is important. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, But we are bound to give thanks to God Always for you, brethren, beloved, by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So he did it as one thing. When you believe in him, you by faith receive justification, but immediately you become a disciple. Immediately, you start denying yourself, taking up a cross and following Jesus. Immediately, you lose your life in this world that you'll gain it in the life to come. And then he doesn't just say that we're an elect, but we're also holy. Hagios, you guys know that? Set apart, to be separate. But here's the way I think it really should be understood today. Unique. We are called to be unique like Jesus is unique. Would you say Jesus walked around like some holy guy? You know, he glowed. This little halo. When he was born, his mother would say, yeah, be careful. You don't have to be careful. He has a halo around him. He's not, drop him. He's fine. That halo will protect him. And then he walks around. He's got this halo. Jesus looked like a regular guy. He looked like a carpenter from Nazareth. But he was unique. You know what his first miracle was? Turning water into wine. <laughs> he, and you know what? He didn't want to do it. But his mother, Mary, said, Jesus, we, they ran out of wine. Take care of it. Woman, I told you I left home. Mom, I'm, a, I'm starting my own ministry now, and I don't want you to around telling me what to do anymore. And Mary looks at the people, just whatever he tells you, do it. He's going to obey me. So because of Mary, his first miracle, boy, that sort of messes up the whole holy thing, doesn't it? You know how many times I've been told, yeah, we're going to go and drink up tonight. Remember, Jesus turned water into wine. Yeah, So let's all go party and get drunk. Man, that's, that's unique. It's weird. I don't like that. I just wish his first miracle was healing a leper or something. That would have been better. And then Jesus was so gentle to so many, but yet twice he got a whip, turned over money changer tables. 
started opening the cages of the doves. They started flying around all over the temple. He starts driving people. My father's house will be a house of prayer. The zeal of God's house ate him up. Whoa. <laughs> One time his disciples were out in the middle of Galilee straining at the oars. And Jesus was just going to walk right by him. Hey, guys. <laughs> but then they him and they freaked out. It's a ghost. And Jesus walks over. There is no ghost. I'm not a ghost. It's me. Weird. Walking on the water. Interesting stuff. Little boy has loaves and fishes. He breaks them and feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. It's unique. Jesus was unique. He walked in the spirit. He did not say anything, but he had first heard from the Father. Wow. Isaiah 50, verse 4 and 5. Jesus in the flesh says, uh, prophesying through Isaiah, the Lord God, my Father, has awakened me morning by morning. He's quickened my ear to hear as a disciple, as a learner, that I would know how to speak to the weary in the day. The rich young ruler comes up, Lord, hey, me and you are good people. Oh, good master. What must I do to inherit your life? Just go keep the law. How do you know that? How did he know what was going on in that guy's heart? Because the father spoke it. How did he know the woman at the well? They're all going in to eat. He's sitting at the well. It's hot. It's noonday. This lady comes up by herself. Oh, yeah, you've been married five times before. The man you're living with isn't your husband. Ah, oh, how did he know that? He awakened morning by morning. It says he didn't want to. <laughs> he says, I was not rebellious, nor did I turn my back. But it was hard. I had to really deny myself morning by morning to get up early enough to hear from the Father that message so I would have the word for the weary in the day. Be unique. You know, so often I think people get messed up on this thing. Holy, holy. Oh, it's about me being holy. It's all about me. So I'm going to go be a monk. I'm going to go live in a cave and eat just bread and water and, and, and beat myself with a whip because I want to be holy. When we, when we look at the terms here in just a minute about being holy, you know it has nothing to do about the individual. You know what holy is? You being kind to other people. That's holiness? Yes. You loving other people. We're going to see that holiness isn't, isn't about me and my world being perfect and walking without sin. It's how I'm reaching out and loving people. So we should look different and act different uniquely from the world. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, verse 13 to 16. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, notice, we're unique, not conforming yourself in the former lust, as in your ignorance, like the rest of the world does, we're to stand out from the world. So in verse 15 and 16, but as he who called you is holy, unique, you also be unique, holy in all your conduct. Because that is as written, be holy for I am holy. Be unique as I'm unique. Not walking around and, and not sinning. Not walking around and 
It's all it's this introspective thing about me and am I holy enough? Am I, uh, I lusted? Oh, no, 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 God, forgive me. I'm the, you know, uh, you know, no. And then he says the third thing, we're the elect, we're holy, and we're beloved. Do you understand this? We are the object of his special love. It's not clinical. It's not legal. It's, it's not it's not like going and buying a car, but it's like adopting a child. When that parent goes through months and thousands of dollars to adopt this child, they want this child so bad. Christ has adopted us into his household. It wasn't something we did at the law office. Okay, now I own this car. Here's the keys. It's yours. No, it's love. Listen to this. We saw this in First. In Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of what? The son of his love. Let's just quit saying I'm going to heaven because I really think it messes it up because Buddhists say they're going to heaven. Muslims say they're going to heaven. Let's start saying I'm going to be going into the arms of the son of God who loves me. Are you going to heaven? I like the Old Testament. They're gathered together to their people. Yeah, it, just, it just sounds warm, doesn't it? The guy dies and, and there he is hugging Jesus, but then he's immediately hugging dad and mom and brothers and sisters and kids and everybody who's died in the Lord. There's this big homecoming. I like that so much better. I think just saying, I think there's certain words that just literally they've been corrupted, like the word holy. I just think it's totally bizarre now, the way it's used. I think also this word heaven, it, 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 it sounds like, oh, the Muslims go to heaven. We're going to heaven. We all believe the same thing. No, the Muslims go, a good Muslim, he's got 70 virgins waiting for him. He's got 70 virgins he's going to have sex with for eternity. That's his reward. In Buddhism, it's going into nirvana, which literally means nothingness. You're just going into nothing. Where are we going? Into the son of his love. The father loves his son, and the father so loves us that he gave his son that he loved so much to us to suffer on the cross and pay for our sins, was buried, rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, that we now can be in a place where we are in love with the son, and the son is in love with us. Think about it. Do you want a heaven without love? Think about it. Isn't being in a place of perfect love, heaven? Is heaven, heaven without Jesus? You understand, people going to hell are going to live forever. Living forever is hell. I think some people are just going to be stuck on the 405 for eternity. <laughs> going three miles an hour. Ah, ah. I like that. I like that one person where the guy's being screaming at somebody on the cell phone, steps off the curb, a car hits him, and he wakes up, this beautiful music going on, these giant chocolate chip cookies. You guys ever see this commercial? He goes over and starts eating these chocolate chip cookies, and then the refrigerator, he goes over, and there's a carton of milk, empty. 
Another carton of milk, empty. Another carton of milk, empty. So he's in, he's in a place, he's in hell, <laughs> where he has all these chocolate chip cookies with no milk. But anyway, guys, we have been conveyed gently, lovingly. The angels have taken us and laid us in the arms of Jesus, setting us on the Father's lap. First Corinthians or Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to what? The good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has what? Made us accepted in what? The beloved. It's not some legal term. It's not some clinical term. We've been accepted by his good pleasure into Jesus, the beloved. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 through 8, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, special treasure from above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other. For you were the least of the peoples. Why did he set his love on us? Why did he choose us? But because the Lord loves you. The greatest revelation you'll ever have as a Christian to realize God's not tolerating you. God isn't stuck with you. God isn't putting up with you. God isn't rolling his eyes going, oh, I hate these sinful creatures. <laughs> yeah, you're praying, but you just were so sinful an hour ago, it's hard to even be around. You're creepy. I think people think all these weird things. He loves us. He truly loves us. He truly thinks we're special. When my kids call me, which is not very much, <laughs> it's, it's like the greatest thing in the world. When you pray, it's, it's made the Lord's day. <laughs> He's just like, wow. Brian's calling me. Oh, isn't that awesome? God loves us. Right now, by faith, we're in his arms. When we leave this body, we are literally going to be in a place of just perfect love. First, we're just going to be overwhelmed. We see in part, we know in part, it's vague, it's not clear to us. But when we're in heaven, in our righteous body that Jesus gave us, as a gift, we're going to sense how much the Father loves us. Oh, that's what I mean. God so loves the world. He gave his only begotten son. He, we're going to see in this son this tremendous passion, like a, a guy getting ready to get married in two weeks. Just a great passion of love for us. Well, we're going to have to end here today, um, you know, the worship team just went way too long again. <laughs> but, but let's read this second part. 
Let's read this second part here. So now understand, number one, we're the elect. Number two, we're holy. Number three, we're beloved. Now, with that in mind, not out of fear. Oh, I gotta be holy, I'm gonna go to hell. I gotta be holy or God's gonna blackball me. I gotta go to hell or, you know, uh, uh, I, gotta, I gotta be holy, uh, help me, help me. I gotta I need a psychologist. No, I need a pastor. No, I need both. Psychologist who is a pastor. Help me. Guys, we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. Is there anything my kids can do that I won't love them the same as today? No. They might do something horrific. My love hasn't changed. God loves us. So understanding we're the elect, we're holy. We are the beloved of Christ that let's out of love, receiving of that love, that's the motivation. If you have give all your goods to feed the poor. If you give yourself as a missionary and get burned at the stake, but you have not love, it means nothing. It profits you nothing. You are nothing. But if I put on, as he's going to say here, tender mercies and kindness and humility, because God loves me and I'm loving him back. Why are you putting on tender mercies? Because I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. Why are you being kind to me right now? Because Jesus loves me and I love him. And it rejoices his heart when I walk in kindness as he was kind. No legalism. No religiousness. I mean, Jesus wrote, wore regular clothes. When he was crucified, the Romans wanted his clothes. But yet somehow you got priests walking around on the hottest day of the year with a black garment with a white collar. Dude, switch it around. White garment, black collar. You'd be a lot cooler. Or you see him in these robes, and these crazy looking hats, the big gold, you know, four foot cross on them made out of pure gold. I'm the, it's like, what in the world? Jesus looked like a regular guy. He was sitting out by the Sea of Galilee. People sat side of the hill, that was church. Jesus didn't on the cross go, man, now Peter can make it to Rome and be the Pope. I hope he has a lot of gold to wear. That's why I'm dying on the cross. It's, it's ridiculous. Christ has set us free. Be free indeed. Christ has loved us, so walk in that love. And Next week, we'll be looking at Christmas. The following week, we'll be looking at how to start the new year right. And then the following week, we will look at the rest of chapter three on how to put on and what to put on. And I think there'll be a lot of neat revelation there. I really do. Lord, we lay it before you now, asking that everyone here, that everyone here would choose to be a disciple no longer an observer, no longer just saying, I got a ticket to heaven, that's all that matters to me. But no, I want to be holy because I love Jesus. I want to walk as a king's kid because I am a king's kid and it would please the Father. I want to walk uniquely hearing the Lord giving me a word of knowledge like he did to the woman at the well. 
giving me that word of wisdom like he did the rich young ruler, prophesying. Lord, I pray that we would prophesy. You told us in 1 Corinthians 14, pray that you might prophesy. Lord, give us prophecy. Give us healings here, Lord. When I came here the first year, two and a half years ago, there were so many who had cancer and miraculously you healed them. When it looked like there was no healing possible, heal our sister Yvette, Lord. Heal our brother Jean, Lord. Oh, Lord, give joy and gladness to the Diaz family, Lord, and to Amanda and Shane, who we love so much. Please give them joy. Touch Tammy, Lord. Even in great sorrow as we walk to the valley of the shadow of death, even there we make a table and eat in fellowship with you, Jesus, because your rod and your staff comfort us. We thank you that the area of justification is settled. We're going to heaven. But now, Lord, we come to this area of discipleship where we've got to lose our life in this world to gain the life to come. We've got to beat our body in subjection that we might walk in fruitfulness and bring joy to your heart every day. Lord, we want to walk uniquely as you walk in the power, the love, the love of the, Father, the, love of the people kindly, gently, hearing your heart and walking in it. If there's any here hearing this today that aren't born again, just believe. That's it. As many as receive him, to them he gives right to become children of God. Right now, Jesus, I receive you. I want to be translated, conveyed into the son who loves me. Take my life now, I give it to you. And now give me the grace to take up a cross and follow you daily, losing my life in this world to gain it in the life to come. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen.